I used to think that it was all about the money was really valuable and like the people skills were really valuable. And I thought the deals were just like, deals always came to me. I was good at going on Kijiji and Facebook and just finding off-market deals below value. Are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one? You're in the right place. Welcome to Where Should I Invest? Real Estate Investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larby. Welcome back. Where should I invest investors? It is Sarah Larby, your host. I'm super excited about today's episode. Today's guest is Michael Rosehart and Michael lives in Canada in London, Ontario, and he's 25 years old and officially retired. He's a self-made millionaire. He has a young family and he created financial independence at the age of 24 through investing in real estate and being extremely frugal. He bought his first property at 19 in 2012 while he was still studying in university and has scaled up to build a 15 property portfolio and has cash flowed over $12,000 a month net in London. That is really super impressive. And, uh, and what's really cool is he's just so humble, so nice, so able to and willing to share his information, ideas. And he's also got a great YouTube channel that you guys can check out. And he also comes out to the right club once in a while. So he's got just so many things to share. I'm just really, really excited. I always like to have people that have just made it and people that of all different strategies and all different levels, but it's really cool to see somebody that is just like an average, an average guy. I mean, he's no longer average, but you know, it just shows that any of us can do it. Any of us out there with the right mindset and taking action can get to where he is at. And uh, he is Canada's youngest self-made early retiree, <laughs> which is really cool. That's uh, the stuff that I'm reading on his website, 25andfree.com. Um, so some really cool stuff. We had a great conversation. So I'm uh, looking forward to sharing this with you guys. And also don't forget if you are in the Burlington area or surrounding, we do host monthly events and I am one of uh, four co-founders called The Right Club. And if you go to The Right Club, it's R-E-I-T-E, so Real Estate Investing Training and Education, club.com. You can actually go to the calendars and you can take a look and see when the other events are. If you haven't been out yet, feel free to send me a message and you can come as my free guest for your first time around. The other thing is I am launching a second Burr course a buy, renovate, rent, refinance, repeat course that is starting in the end of October. So if you guys missed the first one, there is another one starting at the end of October. It's going to be a mix of online, a mix of in-person and in the field training and education that I am going to have a small group of people only just so that we can really be hands-on. And uh, it's going to be awesome. Again, if you are interested, sign up on my website at sarahlarby.com. If you are also interested in one-on-one -on -one coaching or potentially 
speaking on different topics or just even sitting down for an hour and figuring out what is next for you. I'm happy to help you. You can reach out to me on my website and we can go from there. So without further ado, guys, let's listen to this week's episode and let me know what you think. All right, Mike, welcome to the show. How are you? Good. You? Good, good. So excited to have you. Now, where are you calling in from? London, Ontario, Canada. You are. Okay, good. And what kind of real estate investing are you currently doing? All kinds. I like to experiment with, <laughs> with all types of real estate investing for the most part. Uh, I've, done, I've done everything from, you know, your basic flips, your, your buy and holds, your burrs, where you buy them and refinance the capital out of them. I've done Airbnb play. I do a lot of student rentals, a lot of long-term. I've done single family to duplex conversions, a few of those. I've done single family to triplex conversions legally. I've done a few of those with the city and permits and stuff. And uh, 55 buildings now I've uh, converted around. So it's pretty impressive given my age, I guess, because I started at 19, my first property. And you know, by 25, I had uh, you know, 40 buildings. And now today we've got over 55. I've done like 70, 70 major transformations now and I'm 26. So very impressive. So you said you started at 19. How did you even get into it in the first place? Yeah, so I was a student at Western University, uh, the University of Western Ontario is what it used to be called when I went. And uh, before I got into to Ivy, just a poor kid at 17 went off to London, Ontario and uh, moved away from home and didn't go back and, and thought, hey, there's this, this movement called the Financial Independence you know, retiring early movement. I found this book, that book up there, Early Retirement Extreme. And it sort of changed my life at 17. It was this philosophical approach to basically reverse engineering the equation that typically you'd expect a seven or 8% return on your money. And you have to work your whole life and you save, you know, 10 or 20% of what you made. And then by 65 or whatever, roughly you'd retire. And he's like, Hey, this is a simple equation. And if you just save a lot more of your income now and get a little bit higher return, you can retire in like five years. And so I was like, hey, that sounds pretty good. Seven years, five years, 10 years, you know, in that range. I was like, okay, I'm going to retire at like 30. That was the first goal. And then it's 29. And then it got more and more aggressive from there because of real estate, right? I sort of at 19 discovered that using leverage so I could go borrow cheap debt, that I could basically get way higher returns. And I'm like, okay, I'm stock trade. As a kid, I was at 18 stock trading. And I'm thinking I can stock trade and do all right with stock investing. I'm a smart guy, finance and accounting background. So I thought, you know, I've got some sort of edge, but I tell you in real estate, you have a real edge because when you put say even 20% down, you're levered five to one. If you're you know, able to get say a 10% cash on like ROA, return on asset, even 10% return on asset, if you're levered up five to one, basically 20% down, every dollar you put up buys you $5 in real estate. So every dollar of gain you have, on your down payment is five to one. So if you get a you know 50% return on asset, that's like 200, 250% return on your down payment. So I was like, wow, where in the world can you borrow at 3%? And back then that was roughly what I could get in my first property in early 2012. So in 2012, I got a mortgage at, at 19. I convinced a bank to take a chance on me. I had Ivy line of credit. I was going in, it was just on my second year of university. And I convinced a bank based on scholarships. I had a full-time job while I was going to school. And I said, look, I got scholarship income. I got, I got a job. I've got, uh, I'm a hardworking guy. I'm going into Ivy. Instead of giving me this line of credit, which they approved me for this automatic $80,000 student line of credit, I'm like, hey, I don't need this line of credit. I'm going to get through school debt-free. I work. So I, I can pay my, own, pay my own way through working. Can you instead give me a mortgage? And they're like, no. CIBC is like, no. TD is like, no. 
uh, the teeny's willing to give me $80,000 for my school, but they're not willing to give me $150,000 mortgage. So strange. I know. And I eventually <laughs> got, got Bank of Montreal to take a chance. So I applied to like seven different, different places and one lender took a chance and it was through a connection from someone I was working at a summer job. They got me in with the right mortgage broker. And I guess like five or 10% of the profiles, they take a chance where you don't meet all the requirements. You don't have a total debt service, but they'll kind of make a leap of faith for a certain percentage of the mortgages. And I was one of those people, they're like, you know what, this guy's got a great, I wrote a cover letter and a whole like package on this property I was gonna buy. And like, I didn't even get a good deal on the property, it was just my first deal. But I had this whole plan, I was gonna convert the basement into another apartment, which is what I did. And basically I just lived there in house hacks. So I converted into a basement apartment, I renovated it from a two bed, one bath to a four bed with a basement apartment, three bath. So I learned construction, worked alongside a lot of trades guys, not handy at all, just hired a bunch of people and hired plumbers and drywallers and just followed them and watched them and learned how to do it all and fixed up my house and uh, rented it out. Lived there with my wife. Uh, she was a girlfriend then, but uh, we lived together in, in the upstairs bedroom and rented them out. And the rent from the other two rooms plus the basement covered the mortgage, property taxes, and utilities. So I was living for free at 19 and I've never paid to live ever. I've always made money everywhere I've lived. Even today, I live in a nine bed, five bath in Northwest London, in a really good area of London. So it's, you can house hack anything really, even nice houses with a family. And I have second child in the next two weeks coming on. So. Wow. That's pretty incredible. I mean, so how do you go from going to school and learning about, you said to finance, et cetera, et cetera, to going and doing so many properties and so many deals? Like, did you have a mentor? Were your parents involved in real estate? Like how did that all happen where it seems like you went from zero to a hundred in like a matter of potentially months, <laughs> which is awesome. But how did that happen? It feels like it happened over a really long time, right? So 19, 2012, that's about seven and a half years I've been doing this now. And seven years at the intensity that I've been doing things at feels like a lifetime. Uh, so I feel like I put in, I don't know, probably like 40,000 hours into real estate investing, which is more than most people put into mastery at something, right? 10,000 hours is mastery. So it didn't all come right away, right? The first property at 19 took everything. That was my whole summer project was putting this thing together and getting that deal done. I've always just been a hard worker, I guess. My mom's a, we grew up as a single, single parent household. My dad kind of left when I was young and uh, he did do some real estate investing in London. He had a couple of properties. I remember as a kid going and cutting lawns and painting a little bit, but I would only see him, you know, every you know, twice a month kind of thing. So I didn't get a huge amount of uh, exposure to real estate investing, but I remember him having a couple of properties and renting them out. He was always saying that things broke even and there's never any cash flow and that, you know, it's hard to make money in real estate. He got going through a divorce. He got a second marriage and then had another divorce and he got rid of his real estate holdings. So he sold everything off. And I remember being 19 and thinking, it didn't work out so well for my dad. I wonder why, what can I do differently? And I thought, well, that's what I'm going to focus on cash flow and this house hacking strategy that I, I thought I was the first to like develop this. I'm like, Hey, like I was telling my friends, I'm like, guys, I have no mortgage, no property taxes, nothing. I'm just, I'm making money living here at 19 and 2012. And yeah, it's sort of, I thought I had uncovered a lot of things. I remember when I first started networking in 2016, I started really networking with people. I had like four rental properties. And I got, you know, at 22, I bought a second one. I was working full time as a, as an analyst out of school. I took a job at 21. I graduated Western University in the Richard Ivy School of Business. Great business program, but I didn't take the typical path. I took, you know, most guys go to Toronto or New York and do that guy banking route if you're a really smart guy. I was like, you know what? I don't want to go to Toronto or New York. Like, I just can't handle the smog, can't handle like the environment. I'd rather be in London, do like a nine to six job, and then grind some sort of side hustle or entrepreneurial venture. And I thought, well, darn, real estate's got to be the safest risk for return that exists. I can't find anything else where you have this level of risk and this level of return, right? And it's just like your downside in real estate is so low. 
even if I make the worst decisions possible in my renovation, as long as I bought somewhat smartly, I mean, I can just hold it in cash flow. So I was like, if you do your numbers at the outset, it's really hard to lose money in real estate. And being risk averse, coming from nothing, I'm like, hey, I don't want to ever go back to where I grew up. Like we grew up really poor. It was tough, like food stamps and stuff. So I don't want to ever go back to that. Having come from almost nothing, it was like every time I'd make a few bucks, I didn't want to lose that. And so real estate was a safe way to never lose money. With stock trading, you know, I'd often have highs and high lows swings of thousands in a day. Real estate is very consistent, very stable. And so I was very enticed by that. And yeah, I got my second property, I think at 21, third one at 22. It took me a while to save the down payments. I was saving really about half of my girlfriend's salary because we were house hacking. So saving half of hers and all of my salary. So I was making $55,000 a year, every single dollar. Like I didn't spend anything, zero. It all went into investing in real estate. All the rental income went back into investing in real estate. So it went into a down payment account. And it got to a point where it just snowballs, right? Like if you're not spending anything that you're earning, you're just house hacking and living extremely frugally. Basically, it goes like it takes you 14 months to save a down payment. Then you get another property. It starts kicking you 1000 a month. Then all of a sudden, it's like 12 months to save a down payment, 10 months to save a down payment, eight months, six months. I was like, hey, every four months, I'm saving a down payment here. And then it got to a point where I had 17 personal properties. I convinced a lot of banks to lend me you know, great financing terms and extend me you know, multi- millions of dollars. When most people said, hey, there's this five mortgage limit. I was like, let's just ask the right people. So I've just talked to different people and had different conversations with brokers. At my last deal, I closed four in one day. So four different banks all didn't know I was closing. So <laughs> and so they all like the same down payment proof, right? So you can, there are certain like games that you could sort of play and they don't technically ask you, are you closing any other properties? They say, what are your assets and liabilities? And you disclose those and they all have tend to close on the same day. So those liabilities all happen at the same time. There are tons of little neck tricks and stuff that I picked up and uh, wow. I sort of retired in 2017 and just as I retired, I was like, you know what? I'm going to sell off and I'm going to cash out and take some money off the table and make it real. I sold 11 properties off in early 2017 and uh, late 2017, early 2018. But just after I retired, I sold a bunch off and I thought, hey, this is like the right thing to do. And then London just blew up and I, I really regret that decision. So that's when I doubled down. I was like, you know what? I made the wrong decision selling all these properties. I'm going to double down and we, uh, we started a property management company and and a construction company because I've been doing a lot of that stuff and uh, effectively just started partnering with people doing joint venture partnerships and went from, well, I think I, we had like five or six, then I bought five more personal properties, then I had 10 properties, and then all of a sudden just in the last year or so, we were at 55 buildings just to start acquiring one property a week. I was like, how fast could I do this? And I proved it was you know, able to do it pretty fast. Where should I invest with your host, Sarah Larvey? We'll be right back. Hey guys, I just wanted to take a quick moment and pause the podcast interview here because I wanted to introduce you to Dahlia Barsoom of Streetwise Mortgages. I am a big believer, as you guys probably have heard, work with a mortgage broker. They are going to help you scale. And when I was first growing in real estate investing and looking to buying my second property and my third property, I was going directly to the bank then. I hadn't met Dahlia yet. And I actually was hitting a roadblock when it came to financing because the bank started asking me for 25% as the down payment. And then for my third property, they wanted 35%. And it was really, really hard for me to A, understand why it was creeping up like that. And B, I didn't have 35% to put down. I had 20%. And luckily, I actually met Dahlia at that point in time. And Dahlia is actually an investor herself. And she works with many, many investors. 
and she knows all the pitfalls and the barriers that normally come up with dealing directly with a bank and all the different lenders. And Dahlia was actually able to not just find me proper alternatives, but I've got nine properties now and I'm still able to get financing with A lenders and it allows me to be able to scale up without hitting the financing wall. And so she's been a tremendous help. So the other thing I really, really enjoy is Dahlia also does a free goals analysis. So if you go to either my website or her website, streetwisemortgages.com, mention the podcast and ask for the free goals analysis. It was a game changer for me. And it allowed me to actually understand what I needed to do, how many properties I was going to get because of the cash flow that I was looking for. If you guys wanted to reach out to Dahlia, you can reach out to her by email, which is info at streetwisemortgages.com. Or you can actually reach out to her on the website at streetwisemortgages.com and then just go to the contact section. And you can also call her at 1-800-208-6255. Thanks for listening and back to the show. Back to the show. Where should I invest? Real estate investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larvey. Wow, that's that's really an incredible story. Now you went to the bank and you financed so many properties. I'm not the bank, I'm assuming you worked with a mortgage broker potentially too. And I do want to talk about that for a bit because I guess it was you and your girlfriend at the time, now your wife, you guys were acquiring, getting approved for these mortgages. Every single bank has different lending criteria, et cetera, et cetera. Let's just talk about that a little bit. So did you ever find that at some point you were going to be stopped or you kind of know your path along the way just because your mortgage broker might have said, okay, here's what we're starting with for your first five. Here's the next ones. Like, how did that all come into play? Yeah, I mean... There are tons of little tricks and tips you can kind of figure out along the way. Like, for instance, uh, Scotiabank does 10 properties, no problem. And our the mobile specialist we work with directly with Scotiabank had his own underwriter. And uh, yeah, 10, 10 properties is no problem. They had a program where if the property generated enough cash flow, it was self-sustaining. So they pretended it didn't even exist. It was like a cross-out program. And so mm-hmm. when you have five properties, as if you had no properties. They would cross them out because they cash flowed so well. And so this didn't work necessarily with properties that didn't cash flow well, but in London, Ontario, like you'd have three hundred thousand dollars properties ranking three thousand a month. So there's well than well way more than enough. Yeah, I wonder if that was different back in the day as well. I mean, there's obviously been changes and fin- like I mean finances and and banks and lenders. It still exists today. I have a friend who just got their tenth mortgage. With- oh yeah. Yeah. Still exists today. Yeah, there's just it's just who you go to. Like there are a lot of people, a lot of people who just are not aware of some of these ways to get things done. TD I found was the worst of all the banks to deal with. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I like them. As I actually found rate, that too. <laughs> but they're the worst to deal with rental properties. Uh, they won't even touch student rentals. I today love credit unions. They will still take a swing at me without even proper, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I don't have day job income, right? And they'll still take a chance on me. For a long time, CIBC and RBC had high net worth programs. So if you snapshot at $250,000 cash, there was 150,000 cash plus 10,000 per property in your account, you got automatic approval no income requirements. That was until eight months ago. Yeah, it was recent because I remember yeah. doing a few of these. And now Scotiabank has a new one that exists again. So Scotiabank's doing it again today, right now. People are getting, if you snapshot 600,000 cash in your account, it doesn't matter if you have income or not, they'll approve you on a mortgage. Every dollar over 250,000 in cash counts as a dollar of income to lend against. 65% loan to value. Cash. That is awesome. A million bucks cash, you start buying real estate again. So it's just about 
you could theoretically borrow that money, hard money, and hold it for 60 days and then get approval on anything you wanted, right? So if you're creative enough with your financing, it's easy to borrow the money and then put that money in your account and then get e-lender financing. Yeah, that's it. That's really interesting. I mean, definitely, guys, if you're listening to this, get a good mortgage broker on your side and get a few. Don't just rely on one. I always did three different mortgage applications for every single property I bought. So I've done hundreds of applications probably. Nice. So you mentioned joint ventures a couple times. At what point did you say, I'm going to bring on partners and JVs and how did that get started? Is it one person? Is it 10 people? Like, what does that look like? Yeah. So today we, we have like 25 investors and I have like a lineup of investors that would love to get into deals with us. When, I, I guess I got to a point where 17 deals, I, I think I got to 13 deals and I had no, never had a partner. So I was like, you know, I did this all myself, made my first million myself. It's like, cool. I'm 24 years old. I've never partnered. I did it all myself, this lone wolf style. And I was like, you know what? There's so much more opportunity if I could partner with people, right? It's like, hey, you don't need to do this by yourself. Like you can reach out. There's a network of people who want to invest. And maybe it's something with my confidence, but I just didn't believe that that was a thing until I started networking. And I was like, wow, there are like, you know, you talk about money management and deal, right? And people know like the, the triangle. I used to think that it was all about the money was really valuable and like the people skills were really valuable. And I thought the deals were just like, deals always came to me. I was good at going on Kijiji and Facebook and just finding off-market deals with low value. So I always just assumed that money was really an important thing. I had to work and save really hard to get that money. And I had to work on the properties really hard to refinance the money out. But then I discovered that like everyone has money. Like the average Toronto person has a million dollar, million net worth. The average Vancouver person has like 1.5 million net worth because they bought these houses and they all appreciate it. There's mm-hmm. a lot of people with money and I didn't realize how much money is out there and how little money is in the relationship, like how little money matters in the triangle. It really is the expertise mm-hmm. to know how to get the construction work done and then the deal, being able to find, if you can find a deal that's hard thousand under market, the money comes on its own like that. Like if you put a social media post out there and someone with money will find you. So then it's just, yep. people say, oh, I can't find the money to get the deals done. You're not finding the right deals and you probably don't have the right skill set. Then you gotta develop that skill set, right? And that reputation. And then the money just comes. That's sort of an interesting thing that sort of shifted in my mind from being a lone wolf to then now today, like I have good YouTube following and stuff like that because I just been putting stuff out there, throwing content out there. And I found that it resonated with people and they reached out and said, hey, I would love to be a part of that. And I think when I, when I started this, you know, right way management with my partner, we were thinking when I sold my properties off, I sold them off because I was really upset. I had a really bad property manager that I had to fire. And when I fired the property manager company, I was taking all the brunt on until I could find a new, new company. I had like well over hundred tenants. They were all texting. It was a, a real pain. And I remember thinking to myself, like, this is the worst. Like the return on time, the return mm-hmm. on energy, the return on effort is terrible. And so I was thinking that's why a lot of why I sold because I wanted to, well, one, I wanted to take some gains off the table. And two, I couldn't refinance at that time. No one would give me proper refinancing terms. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to sell and get my equity out. And then I end up exploding, right? Because when you, if you sell one, it's got a lot of equity. And you go buy three more. So that's basically what I did, right? I took the capital and I reallocated it. I took properties that I already tapped out for the max value. Like I re- repaired them to what, what is the maximum amount that they can be repaired to. I had the best rents possible. I'd unlocked most of the value. I sold those and bought properties that needed to be unlocked again. Properties that weren't renovated, that I had to fix up, put in good tenants, all that kind of stuff, right? So I believe in real estate asset allocation rebalance. You know, you take a stock portfolio and rebalance it. You should do the same mm-hmm. thing with a real estate portfolio. If you have a property you bought for $200,000, it's worth a million dollars today, and it's rented for $3,000 a month, that's like a three cap, four cap property. You right. should sell that property. Most investors who invest in real estate think, I'm going to own this property forever. 
I love this real estate property. They have some emotional attachment and they should look at their portfolio and say, hey, this property is out of place. It doesn't cash flow anymore at market value. So it makes sense to dispose of that asset and buy another one that's a better fit. So I did that. I sold properties at six caps and bought again at 10 caps. So just got mm-hmm. more for my money. And if you can refinance, that's the best option. Just go and refinance that capital out. But sometimes you can't refinance because you've got a big portfolio. It's, it's an eight figure portfolio. It's hard to go to the bank and say, hey, go give me 80% loan to value. They right. do that. So depending where you are in your journey, refinance first. If you can't refinance any more capital out of them, then you got to make the choice to sell, I think. Because you have to look at your down payment. If you're half paid down now because depreciation, you've added value to the property through renovation, plus maybe some market appreciation, you're likely at a point with the mortgage pay down where you're maybe half of market value and your current mm-hmm. mortgage balance. That's a bad position to be in really because you're not getting, taking advantage of leverage, which makes real estate so attractive. Owning real estate in cash is not attractive. The return on real estate in general is about 7 or 8% if you just owned it in cash. Right. Lever up, you get 30, 35% return all day long. Leverage is what makes real estate attractive. Real estate in and of itself performs around the same as the S&P 500. So if you're going to own real estate in cash or a completely unlevered portfolio, you need to go ahead and take a rebalance I think to that approach, if your goal is optimizing for cash flow and getting a higher return on investment, I don't know anyone who invests in real estate just for fun. I think we're all in it just to make money. Return on investment seems to be the name of the game. There are investors who make emotional arguments, but at the end of the day, it boils down to we do this for money. And I think that's the approach I've always taken to real estate is what is the most optimized approach for the most cash flow, not even most cash flow, the most return on my money in the safest way. Yeah. And it's not necessarily the money, but what the money can do for you and your family and the freedom that you get from it and everything that comes with it, not necessarily the paper. Exactly. Yeah. The paper itself does nothing. It's it's what it can buy for you. That freedom to, I get up at like 10 o'clock most days. So let's talk about that. I want to talk about your lifestyle since you've retired. So talk to me about when you pulled the plug, what happened and then what your life looks like today, lifestyle wise. Yeah, so I was working as a, an analyst and a senior analyst and a manager at a uh, local tech firm working in business consulting and tech consulting. It was great in early 2017, February or March, I think, 2017. So a little over two years ago, I, uh, I quit and I said, look, I got 17 properties. I had a couple of deals under contract still, but you know, I had 17 properties at this point. Got my financing figured out before I quit and said, okay, I, I'm at a point now where like literally my cash flow is like double my day job salary. It doesn't make sense for me to be coming to work every day. It's, it's really a waste of my time. And so I, I pulled the trigger and sort of quit and then worked on those couple of projects, had a lot of fun being an entrepreneur more than, more than retired, really. Finished those off, wanted to experience true retirement. So I sold most of my properties off. And the ones I didn't sell were ones I set up a manager or a couple of joint venture partnerships where the partner took over. I went on a trip, enjoyed some time off, did a lot of gaming, uh, which is something I hadn't done in a long time. I quit gaming for five years and I was, used to be a really intense professional gamer. And so not like pro, but amateur. And I really enjoyed that. So I got back to doing that and spent time with my daughter. She was born in 2016. So I got to spend a lot of time with her in 2017. She should have been a year old. So I was an at-home dad for three and a half months. That was a lot of fun and a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. Um, for those people who are listening <laughs> who have kids, you know just how hard it is to be at home with a one-year-old. It's a lot more work than you might think. And uh, yeah, I, I loved it. But then uh, in 2018 to last year in July, we started up uh, Right Way Management. And went from like zero to hundred really quick, just to prove that I could. I bought a property a week. So we took a building down every week around a half million uh, size. So we acquired like a couple million dollars in real estate a month. And we just got like into 10 figure or eight figures pretty quick. And so Very was, cool. Was really now, are these all residential? For the most part, yeah. I'm taking down like a seven plex right now. But for the most part, it's like 
duplex, triplex. I really love my sweet spot was, I'm going to give this away for your audience. People are going to come to London and I take my way my secret advantage. But uh, I love the duplexes that are purpose-built and huge. Reason for that is like, I'll give an example. I have two duplexes side by side that I own in separate ownerships. So they don't merge, but uh, separate title ownership. But they're, it's That's a, important. Exactly. So they don't merge. 11 bedrooms, 11 bedrooms. So it's 22 bedrooms, six kitchens, three kitchens in each one, and 11 bathrooms. So it's got a good two to one bath, bed to bath ratio, laid out really nice, four bedroom, four bedroom, three bedroom, walkout, big windows, purpose built, eight foot ceilings in the basement. I love those properties because the, the top, those buildings are worth like, I don't know, let's call them five, 600,000 a piece now. I was buying them at 300 something thousand a piece, you know, even a couple years ago, one or two years ago. But you're, you're buying these buildings and at 300 something thousand with 11 bedrooms, you're talking at $30,000 a bedroom here in London, Ontario. And I can run them for 550 a bedroom. So the cash flow is really strong when your cost per bedroom on the building cost is 30, 35,000 a building and you're generating 550 a month in rent. The, the cash flow is super strong, but here's the best thing. Insurance costs in these things was like a thousand dollars a month and an equivalent $500,000 building would be like a sevenplex would have triple the insurance cost. It's just a duplex and the right. property taxes on them were only a couple thousand dollars, but comparable, the same value dollar building, the same building divided up into five units is commercially zoned. So now then all of a sudden you had commercial property taxes, which I was seeing at like 10,000 a year where I'm paying 3000 a year in property taxes. So my insurance was like one third, my property taxes were half and my mortgage rate was at 2.49 five year fixed because they're residential buildings. So I'm, I'm getting these like insane cash flow from these big buildings, 22 bedrooms is a big building in my opinion, but operating as residential. So I, the niche was finding that spot where there was like insane cash flow. The same $500,000 building, it's like an eight plex. I don't want it because after the increased property taxes, increased insurance and the higher financing costs, plus you had to put more down. I was putting 20% down, no CMHC financing, right? We're getting 20% down, 80% loan to value, really cheap property taxes, low insurance, really efficiently built so like good on utilities. And yeah, just the good financing terms too. When your mortgage is like 30% less on the exact same value building that's pumping up more cash flow, like more rental income than these five or six boxes, there's a real unique, I think, blue ocean there. So I doubled down on that strategy. We bought a lot of properties, had a lot of bedrooms. So wow. we have like 300 bedrooms, I think, in London right now because a lot of our buildings have a lot of bedrooms. So are these for students mostly or are they more like rooming houses? A lot of them were rooming houses when I bought them and we, we put ports in, fixed them up really nice and then targeted more of the luxury market than like the lower end market that they were targeted to before. Uh, so yeah, a lot of them are students. I would say 30 or 40% of our portfolio is students. I would say another 20 or 30% is like young professionals who work downtown. They're like, okay with, you know, three friends will just take like the upper three mm -hmm. bedroom apartment sort of thing and they'll pay a premium dollar as long as they have certain amenities like, you know, dishwasher, in-unit laundry and good parking and access to public transit and whatnot. So there's certain criteria we have to meet, but we meet those criteria and we get great cash flow. We've experimented with Airbnb too. For the hassle, it's okay. Like I, I get my furnished rentals, my furnished bedrooms do almost as well as the Airbnbs do. And I don't have any of the hassle of turnover or cleaning or anything. Yeah, you might as well then do the, the one that's easier to manage and you get the same amount of money for the difference. Almost, yeah. So are there any bylaws or anything that the city says, like you can have, you know, more than X number of people. And so how do you go around that? Do you sign like yeah. one main lease for everybody? So I've been very fortunate. People don't know this though. There's a couple of nugget bombs I'm going to drop here that even like experienced real estate investors didn't know. So one, if you want a freehold property, 
So property that's attached in some way. So imagine like a, they have these like townhouses that are not condos. They're just freeholds. There's no condo fee, nothing like that. Those buildings are exempt from rental licenses entirely. No rental licenses. They don't even have a condo board. So you can do whatever you want in those. I have a lot of like illegal duplexes in those because the city can't even, there's no fire inspections, nothing. They're exempt in London. And so the freehold townhouse has been one key. Uh, the second thing is a lot of these properties were grandfathered. So I got these properties that are you know, duplexes that have five and five bedrooms and they applied for license like 2012 and they have on file somewhere, someone's applied for a 10 bedroom license. I go get a grandfathered. So there's a rule in London that you can only have five bedrooms per house or three bedrooms per unit. So a duplex that have three and three, they're now cracking down and saying max five in the house total on any duplex conversions or triplex conversions. So they're not allowing you to add more bedrooms. That said, a lot of these properties, again, have grandfathering. So I've got a lot of grandfather rental licenses that are very valuable today. If you have some downtown properties, one of them has a five bedroom and a six bedroom uh, duplex on the, on the rental license. So that's super valuable because you can't find that anymore. So I do have some legal ones that are all, totally allowed. The key is this. You don't want to operate a rooming house because that's, that's commercial zoning. That's commercial challenges. When you go to sell that, it's going to be very expensive and a lot to collect all that rent from each individual bedroom. I don't ever do that. I don't do by the bedroom. I do one lease. I'll, I'll put groups together sometimes. I'll find a group of three and a group of two and say, hey, you five are taking this five bedroom unit, this five bed, two bath upper apartment. You guys are signing one lease together. How you figure out the rent, I don't care. It comes to me in one e-transfer. So I'm very clean about that because I can't collect 300 e-transfers a month. So yeah. I make it very clear that it's one lease. And if they want to do it, some of them do like sublease agreements and I let, them be, I let that happen between them. I say, if you guys want to do sublease agreements or whatever you want to do to split the rent however you want, I'll help facilitate that conversation. But with us, you're going to sign one lease for the unit. And it's either inclusive of utilities or plus utilities, depending on the arrangement of that property, if it's separately metered and a bunch of other factors. But yeah, I, I like to just do one lease mm -hmm. per, per unit. It's much easier for financing, much cleaner for rent collection and property management. And when they lose a friend, they got to go find a fifth friend. I don't have to worry about it. So yeah, it puts the onus on them. Might yeah. as well, right? Okay, that's cool. So what's next for you? I mean, you're doing so many things. You have a plan for the next year or two years? Yeah, we've got a lot of plans. Um, what is the biggest thing that I want to take down? I want to grow the YouTube channel. I have a lot of fun with that. I've been, I've been having more fun. It doesn't make me a lot of money really doing the YouTube thing, but I have a lot of engagement with people on Instagram and on YouTube, and I really like that. I have a lot of fun with that. I'd like to take it from, I'm at like a little over 10,100 subs. I'd like to get to 100,000 subscribers. That'd be a cool goal. I enjoy throwing out content and getting that engagement back. So I'm having a lot of fun with that. That's one of the big things. The second goal would be, I would really like to, I got this mentorship program that I do. It's more of a hobby than it's not really like the main business, but I get really excited about it. So I have five people that are full time in a mentorship program with me. So I, I cap it at five. I believe that five is like the, the ultimate amount that someone can take on, mm -hmm. provide value to that mentee. But that may change in the future. Right now I have five people. So three of them live in a lower apartment of my, my property. And so they, it's like a one-year thing. It could be a two-year thing. Basically like an entrepreneur's MBA or uh, like a real estate crash course. They come live with me. And most of the people that join this program, their time isn't valuable, right? They're working you know, jobs where their time wasn't near as valuable. They didn't know how to invest in real estate. They come in knowing nothing and they volunteer their time and get to go through basically 12 modules of real estate. They teach them how to do like, you know, vendor take back, private financing, creative deals, how to get deals off market, how to wholesale, all of the things that I've done because I've done wholesaling at different points in my you know, time. I'm now a realtor, so I, I can't wholesale technically, but that <laughs> part of the business still exists with a business partner. He, he runs that now. I sold that off, so I don't do any wholesaling specifically, but deals often are brought into my investor network. 
privately. But yeah, just the connections and all of that, I, I teach them how to develop that in their network and then how to basically get all the work done. Everything from flipping 101 to construction fundamentals, financing fundamentals, et cetera. And that's a cool program. I'm having a lot of fun with that because the guys down, like they're not, one of them might be home right now. They went downstairs and watching them from the start of their journey where they're, they're basically trading time, right? They work for me, like they stay with me full time and they live and breathe the business. They shadow it and they, they learn it. I win because I get to have fun with these guys and you know, they help me out and follow me around. It's sort of nice having that. But uh, the way that they win is by the end of it, they get a couple of deals under their belt and ideally get them to five or 10 properties. And I've got this new mentee fund that I'm going to seed myself for 750,000 capital. And now I'm going to raise another 1.25. So I'll 2 million bucks in this mentee fund effectively. We're going to do flips and buy properties. Basically, I'm going to give the properties to them. If they're going to get 50% ownership, having to put no money out, they're going to have to work their way into earning a real estate portfolio for themselves. So that's a lot of fun. Wow, very cool. Guys don't have down payments, right? And so I'll basically lend them the down payment effectively, joint venture with them. They'll learn how to run it. They'll be learning how to run the property themselves, renovate it. I'll be there to coach them. But I believe the best way to learn is through doing. And so basically being a, a mentor to those people has been really, actually, I've got the most value from that than you know, even making a million bucks in a year. That's, that's nothing. Like you said earlier in the podcast, money doesn't make you happy. It's those meaningful connections that you have with people. And so I'm really excited about the mentorship program. And we're going to start making basically 12 different courses. They're going to be free. It's like the whole program is free. It costs nothing. They just come and give their time, right? The idea that like their time isn't currently very valuable, but by the time they leave the program, their time is very, very valuable. And so they get to a point where they go into this program knowing nothing, coming out real estate investor experts because they've been living and breathing it. That's very cool. So they help you along the way, getting off market deals, et cetera, et cetera, marketing, I'm guessing door to door, et cetera. And in exchange, they get to learn. Learning construction, working in all that. And so like I obviously benefit because they're working on our projects together, but I create a joint venture partnership where like the idea is that they win too. So if we work together on a flip, they get to learn how to flip. They don't have to put any money up. These guys are often young out of university. Maybe they can't even find a job. And they go from being like unemployed to being real estate investors with four or five, six, seven, eight joint ventured properties. And so now they're financially independent in two years. So my goal is for every mentee that joins the program within four to five years, I want them all to be financially independent, ideally in two years, if they work really hard. And the, the, the keys are there. Like you just got to follow the formula and be financially independent of 10 properties in three years. I did it. Zero to 10 properties in, uh, in three years. You probably have, I mean, I'm guessing there's going to be some listeners that are going to want to reach out to you and say, hey, I'm interested in this. How does this work? Like what kind of mentee are you looking for? What's the perfect match? Because I'm sure you're not going to say, yeah, just come on in and, you know, live upstairs and get to work and we'll get this together. I'm sure there's some kind of criteria into who those mentees might be. Yeah. Right now the program's full, but there could always be openings. People can drop out. Things happen in life. People change. Maybe they find a job somewhere else and they don't want to do real estate investing anymore. So I can't say for, for sure that it's always going to be full, but how do they choose people? In the beginning, I just look for people who are hungry. If you've got that, like the same hunger that I had in me, like, I grew up really poor. And so I was obsessed with like financial independence and trying to unlock that for myself and my family. If you've got that same hunger, I think, and you prioritize those values, like you prioritize really hard, like the hustle and the, like I'm up at midnight and I, I'll be hunting on a deal till two or three in the morning. I wake up in the morning, it's the first thing I do, I look at my phone. So, so that kind of like hunger without being told, you know what I mean? That's the kind of candidate that does really, really well, like a self-starter who really gets the work done on their own. That candidate does the best because I provide them a bit of guidance and I point them in the right direction and they just run with it. That candidate does the best. I just like helping people. So people I like, I actually have to like the person too. They're just like, like you said, I have to live with them. Mm -hmm. sort of. They're like, they live in the other unit. 
So I, I have to see them on a basis that's regular. <laughs> so I have to actually like the person a little bit. That's a, I know that shouldn't be a qualifier, but it is just because like I have to be around them mentoring them for a whole year. And I want them part of my part of my gang. Because at the end of the day, I've got like this A team of guys who I'm, I'm buying some business, like I'm buying a business in Toronto right now. And I'm looking into different serial entrepreneurial ventures. And I'd like to have my end goal, like the final point I was going to make after the mentee program is the 10 businesses. So I've got this plan. If I grow up 13.8% CAGR, competitive annual growth rate, 13.8% CAGR, I'll be a billionaire by like 50 something. So if I just keep growing at 13.8%, I'll be a billionaire. It's, it's pretty quick. Like so far, I've been growing at way higher, way faster rate than that. But to go from multimillionaire to billionaire would be a really cool stretch goal. I don't know if like I'm willing to make all the sacrifices to get to billionaire, but definitely 100 million is like feasible in the next 10 years if I just keep growing. It's, it's actually really quite easy to continue to buy real estate. And uh, if you make like 50 to 100 grand a deal, you're doing a deal a week, it's pretty quick. And then if there's any appreciation along the way, you'd win. So those are the three things I'm kind of focused on and really enjoying. And I want mentees that want to be a part of that, you know what I mean? That want to be, in 10 years, we're all going to sit back and like have a scotch and be like, do you remember the days when we were like <laughs> in the boardroom? I'm in the boardroom right now. I'm like sitting in the boardroom, just like whiteboarding all these ideas and uh, having some fun. So I, I like that. Like that entrepreneur house, it fires me up. I'm an introvert at my core. So at the end of the night, I go and watch TV and like spend some time with quiet reflection, but I get pumped up with having those, those mentees. In my awesome. Life. Awesome. That, that's, that's just amazing to hear. And you've got so many great things going for you. We could actually keep doing this podcast for hours and hours, but I am conscious of your time because we are all limited in time. The next part of this podcast is called our lightning round. So I'm going to ask you a series of five questions. You're going to answer the first thing that comes to mind within 20, 30 seconds. You ready? Sure. All right. So question number one, Mike, what is your favorite real estate investing book ever? I don't read a lot of real estate books anymore. I got it. I got it started with like rich dad, poor dad stuff in the beginning. Kind of got me as a gateway. I love all the bigger pocket stuff. I used to spend a lot of time on their website. My favorite content overall is, uh, his name Phil Pustovsky uh, or something. Pustovsky or something. Yeah, I, I think I know who you're talking about. He's got a YouTube channel. He's not doing it much anymore, but like a few years ago, he was big into it. I loved his videos. They were fantastic. Like four years ago, he was the only person doing it. He was the biggest YouTube channel ever in real estate investing. So I, I recommend him, even yes. though he's not active anymore. He's, his videos are still up and they're great. They are. Yeah, I remember watching them as well as I was starting to learn. Cool. Question number two What is your favorite podcast? Bigger pockets right now, I guess. Okay. All right. Good. Question number three. What do you do for fun aside from real estate? I'd like to spend time with my family. I, my daughter's like my, the thing that I love, she's my special project. So uh, we go for walks like every day to the park and like there's a nice pond near here we walk to and there's a lot of walking trails and stuff in nature. So I spend a lot of time with her. I spend probably two, three, four hours a day dedicated with her almost every day. Yeah, pretty much every day. That's like the thing that I love to do. But gaming is like a secret pastime. I'm a big movie buff. I love the show Billions. Plug for the show Billions. My favorite show right now. It's never been a bad episode. Four seasons. Every Sunday, it lights my, lights my evening up. All right. Awesome. So what if, in the question number four, if you lost all your money and your assets tomorrow, how would you start again? That'd be a major blow. You know how hard I have to work for that? Oh, okay. <laughs> so <laughs> that's a tough one. I would actually cry a little. That'd be the first time I'd cry. Like, I spent too many hours, too many nights. I was hospitalized once. I was so sick. I was working on a property. I ended up being hospitalized because of dehydration and lack of sleep. So I pushed myself way beyond what anyone should. Like I'd, I'd get up for work at eight o'clock in the morning, having worked till five in the morning at a rental all night and do it every single day, three hours sleep. So that was, to do it again would be hard. 
like to do it again what I did, but at least I have, I guess I thought I already got it once. So to do it again, it'd be easier to have the experience. So I, I suppose I would start again. You'd have to just start again. If you have no money, you know what you do, right? You get mastery over the management, mastery of the deal, and the money just comes. So I, would do, I do what I know how to do best, which is continue to find off-market deals and then just bring the capital and close the deals and take, you know, 25 to 50% of upside on those deals. Maybe in the beginning, I'd take 25% of upside because I, you know, I don't have any capital and they know that they need me, that I need them. So I would give them, maybe they give them three quarters of the deal and I'd take a quarter until I built up a reputation. Then I maybe take 30 or 40% of the deal, upside profit. And that maybe I just give them all the cash flow in the beginning and just take the upside that I created from retail arbitrage, right? Okay. That's all right. That's a, that's a great answer. I mean, really ultimately, like you still have your skill set and you still have your knowledge. Exactly. And I'm extremely frugal. So I've just, I've continued to house hack, right? I don't need anything to live. I don't even need money to live. I can just find a way to house hack. Nice. I'd rent, I'd rent hack is what I would do. I'd rent a house out and then rent the rooms out <laughs> and it would cover my rent. So I'd live rent free. That's a good way to do it. All right. Last question. If somebody has $50,000 and they want to get started, how would you recommend that they spend it? It depends which market they're in, I suppose. I like investing close to home or investing, if you're investing in a market far away in real estate, I like to uh, find a really good operator manager you can trust and have a second backup because it's hard to, you know, you don't want to be driving like two hours to go check on your properties when there's issues. That's a tough one. 50,000 in a bigger market like GTA or you won't get your property likely unless you got really creative. You could get creative, I guess, with a, a private deal where you get a vendor take back scenario where you could do a, like a 5% down deal, CMHC financing, but I hate CMHC because the fees are so high. I think probably what I would say is, yeah, 50,000 isn't a ton. I'd probably just do some private lending with that money just and start, start networking because 50 grand likely isn't enough to get you a deal. Once you start networking, I'd start with some lending, get the connection out there. And then once you develop that network, I would begin looking for joint venture partnerships because likely you can find someone to partner with who has the rest of the capital and you could work with them to kind of put a deal together. If you're investing in London, Ontario, like I am, I'm still buying houses for like 150,000 here, single family houses that are at for 1,700 a month plus utils. I found some in East London, one of them was 125,000, made for 1,600 bucks a month plus utils. So those deals, you only need 20 or 30,000 down payment to get started. So a couple of my investors did have 40,000 and got into their first deal. We burned it, got them into their second and third deal, keep the money flowing. So you can start with 40 grand and get five, six properties if you buy the right properties, partner with the right people. Yeah, and you know what? That goes to show you that there's people that think I can't find anything for like under four or five hundred thousand. But you, in 2019, we are, you know, going into the summer. You're I just closed on four right now. I bought a duplex in London for 170, a single family beside it for 145, duplex for 200, and these are all like in, in East London, in okay areas, not even the worst of East London. Off market. Yeah, off private deals. Yeah. But even on market, I'm, I'm finding stuff. We found a house for 175,000 on market, renting for 1695 plus utilities. Just a single family, three bedroom, uh, nice. one one bed, or three bedroom, one bath house. So it's you can do it if you know where to look. There you go, guys. Reach out to Mike if you don't know where to look, and Mike will help you because you are a realtor now. Yeah, I am a realtor. That's true. <laughs> awesome. All right, so Mike, that was our lightning round. So if our listeners wanted to reach out to you know more about you where can they go they could go on my instagram at mike rosart m-i-k-e-r-o-s-e-h-a-r-t or go on youtube just type in my name like mike rosart you'll see like the hundred 
50 videos I've gotten. I go live every Wednesday for the Micro Art Show. So live every Wednesday at 7 p.m. I do live question and answers. So just pop in there. I'm on there for about two hours live every single Wednesday. Just pop on YouTube and, and jump in the comments, ask any questions you want. Very cool. So if you had one last word of advice for the listeners, what would it be? Hmm. It's a tough one. There's so many pieces of advice I'd love to share. I think the slogan I use at the end of my YouTube channel is key. The secret formula to unlocking wealth, the secret to building your, your wealth is to spend less, earn more, and then maximize your returns in that order. Those are the only three levers you have to play with. So you've got to kind of hunker down and decide, hey, if, if frugality isn't for you, you need to find strategies to earn more money and maximize those returns. So that's the biggest thing is just understanding that basic equation that you have to spend a lot less than you earn to build wealth. It doesn't matter how much you earn, you got to spend less than that. And if you can't find ways to earn more money, you got to find ways to cut. So that's, that's been a big thing for me is the frugality has allowed me to build wealth so fast. A dollar invested when you're 19 years old is $69 when you're 65 if you let it compound at like 8%. So if you can make a million bucks in your young 20s, it's $65 million at retirement without even trying, at like 7% growth, like S&P 500 type returns. So you want to be a multi-multi-millionaire? Just make the step today. Take action today. If you're thinking about buying a property, take action today. You can always buy another better property later, but get your feet wet and just go ahead and do something. Don't sit on your hands. Don't sit on your money. Make it work for you. There you go. Well, on that note, Mike, thank you so much for being on the show. It was a pleasure talking to you. You've got tons of insights. And I will say, guys, go and reach out to Mike, add him on Instagram, follow the videos. They're, they're pretty awesome. I've been uh, watching a bunch of them and you've got some great insight there. So thank you and congratulations as well on all your success. Thank you. Hey guys, before you go, I wanted to ask you a question. What's stopping you from starting or growing your own real estate investment portfolio? I know for me, before I started, I had plenty of reasons and at the time they all seemed very valid, but as I started my journey, these reasons slowly fell away and eventually only one reason remained. What was actually stopping me was having a proven, actionable, repeatable system. I didn't have that. And the way that was going to change was by investing in myself, learning, listening, and looking for ways that work. And also, most importantly, discovering what didn't and not making those mistakes again. Fast forward to today, I now have a proven, repeatable series of action steps that has enabled me to build my seven-figure portfolio consisting of multiple homes, and I'm able to manage that in two to three hours a month. Is that something that you would want? Well, I've actually taken all the knowledge I've accumulated and put that into a comprehensive step-by-step -step online program. It's called Rise, and it's a program that will help you from where you are now to where you wanna be faster and with less of the headaches that I had. So it consists of all the templates and the resources that I use, plus over 40 instructional videos that you get lifetime access to for just a small one-time investment. And you know, my recommendation is to make the time now to invest in yourself and grow your portfolio to seven figures so that you can bring your retirement dreams closer. If you want some more information about Rise, just go to sarahlarby.com forward slash R-I-S-E to access more details and book your spot. Thanks so much for listening to Where Should I Invest with your host, Sarah Larby. Make sure to listen in next time. We'll catch you on the next episode of Where Should I Invest.